It's time now for Pilgrim's Progress Storytime with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Christian and faithful are in chains. They're in prison, in a cage. People are throwing rotten things at them, cursing them, scorning them. Christian and faithful have, as evangelists said, run into very painful times. They're in the city of Vanity Fair. Belzebub is in charge. They angered people because they would not buy the merchandise that was being sold in the, in the fair. You'll recognize we're in Vanity Fair now in America. And we're not going to buy the wares that the world is trying to sell us. Don't you buy either. We're followers of Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. Not Beelzebub, not money. Jesus is our Lord. And so I'm going to share with you from Pilgrim's Progress. Right now, as they're imprisoned and being tortured, they bring out faithful. He's the first one to go on trial. They intend to try them both and to murder them. Right now, on the stand, is flattery. He's been sworn in, and he's been asked to say what he knows about faithful on behalf of Beelzebub, the Lord King. Let's begin. My Lord, and all the rest of you gentlemen, I have known of this fellow for a long time. I have heard him say things that should not be said. He has reviled and scolded in the harshest terms our noble prince Beelzebub, and has spoken contemptibly of the prince's honorable friends, whose names are Lord Old Man, the Lord Carnal Desires, the Lord Luxurious, the Lord Desire of Vainglory, Lord Lechery, and Sir Greed, along with all the rest of our nobility. He's also said that if all were of his mind, there is not one of these noblemen's who would not be driven out of our town. Besides, he has not been afraid to rail against you, my lord, who are now appointed to be his judge, calling you an ungodly villain and many other such vilifying terms with which he has sullied most of the gentry of our town. Well, when flattery had finished telling his tale, the judge directed his speech to the prisoner at the bar, saying, You renegade? You heretic? You traitor? Have you heard what these honest gentlemen have witnessed against you? May I speak a few words in my own defense? Faithful asked. The judge protested, What? What? You deserve to live no longer but to be slain immediately on this very spot. 
but so that everyone may see our gentleness toward you. Let us hear what you have to say. Faithful began. In the first place, in answer to what Mr. Envy has said, I never said anything but the following. Whatever rules or laws or customs or peoples are contrary to the word of God, these things are diametrically opposed to Christianity. If I have said something wrong, then convince me of my error, and I am ready here before you all to recant. As to the second point that Mr. Superstition made and his charges against me, I said only this. In the worship of God, there is required a divine faith that only attends a divine relationship and revelation of the will of God. Therefore, whatever things are thrust into the worship of God that are contrary to divine revelation cannot be done but by mere human faith. And human faith will not result in eternal life. As to what Mr. Flattery has charged, I said that the prince of this town, his attendants, and the brutish mob, and all the rest named by Mr. Flattery, are more ready for hell than for this town and country. And so, may the Lord have mercy upon me. Then the judge called to the jurymen who were standing by and observed all that had been done and said, Gentlemen of the jury, you see this man about whom so great an uproar has been made in this town? You have also heard what these worthy gentlemen have witnessed against him. Also, you've heard his reply and confession. It is now your responsibility to hang him or to save his life. But before you decide, I think I need to instruct you in our law. There was an act made in the days of Pharaoh the Great, the servant of our prince, that to prevent those of contrary religion from multiplying and growing too strong, the male children of those troublesome people should be drowned in the river. There was also an act made in the days of Nebuchadnezzar the Great, another of our Lord's servants, that whoever would not fall down and worship his golden image should be thrown into the fiery furnace. There was also an act made in the de- in the days of Darius that anyone who called upon any god except for him should be cast into the lion's den. Now this rebel before you has broken the substance of these laws, not only in thought but also in word and deed. This is intolerable. Consider that the law made by Pharaoh was made to prevent mischief, no crime having yet been committed. But here before you a crime is apparent. As far as the second and third laws I told you of, you can see for yourself that he disputes against our religion. And for the treason he has confessed, he deserves to die by execution. After hearing all of this, 
the jury went to private quarters to deliberate. The jurors' names were Mr. Blind Man, Mr. No Good, Mr. Malice, Mr. Love Lust, Mr. Live Loose, Mr. Hothead, Mr. High-Minded, Mr. Enmity, Mr. Liar, Mr. Cruelty, Mr. Hate Light, Mr. Implacable. Each one submitted his private verdict against faithful to the other jurors. And after that, they unanimously concluded to bring a verdict of guilty against faithful. They went before the judge with their verdict. The first juror to speak was Mr. Blind Man, the foreman, who said, I see clearly that this man is a heretic. Then Mr. No Good said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. I agree, said Mr. Malice, for I hate the very looks of him. Mr. Love Lust said, I could never stand the sight of him. Nor I, said Mr. Loveless, live loose, for he would always be condemning me. Hang him, hang him, said Mr. Hothead. A sorry vermin, said Mr. High Mind. My heart rises against him, said Mr. Enmity. He's a rogue, said Mr. Liar. Hanging is too good for him, said Mr. Cruelty. Let us kill him quickly and get him out of the way, said Mr. Hate Light. Then Mr. Implacable, even if I was offered all of the world to make peace with this man, I could not. Therefore, let us quickly bring in a guilty verdict and let us put him to death. And so they did. Faithful was condemned and was taken to a place where he was put to the most cruel death they could invent. First, they scourged him. Then they beat him. And then they lanced his flesh with knives. After that, they stoned him with stones and pierced him with their swords. Last of all, they burned him to ashes at the stake. This is how faithful came to his end. Now I saw in my dream that there stood behind this brutal multitude a chariot and a couple of horses waiting for faithful. So as soon as his adversaries had killed him, he was taken into that chariot and was immediately carried up to the clouds with the sound of trumpets heading straightway to the celestial gate. But as for Christian, he had a temporary delay and was returned to prison where he stayed for some time. But he was but he who overrules all things, having the power of even his enemy's rage in his own hand, brought about Christian's escape from the evil plans. So Christian, after having escaped, went on his way singing. Now I saw in my dream that Christian did not escape Vanity Fair by himself, for there was within him a man named Hopeful. 
a name he was given as he watched how Christian and faithful in their words and in their deeds conducted themselves during all of their sufferings at the fair. Hopeful had joined himself to Christian and entered into a brotherly covenant with him, promising him that he would be his companion for the rest of the journey. So one died to bear testimony to the truth, and another rose out of his ashes to be a companion with Christian in his pilgrimage. Hopeful also told Christian, there were many men in that fair who would in due course follow after them to the celestial city. So I saw in my dream that soon after they had left the fair, they overtook a man walking ahead of them who was named Byens. So they said to him, What country are you from, sir? And how far are you going on this way? He told them he came from the town of Fair Speech and that he was going to the celestial city. But he did not tell them his name. From fair speech, exclaimed Christian. Does anything good live in fair speech? Oh, yes, I hope so, said Byans. Please, sir, what is your name? inquired Christian. Byans answered, I am a stranger to you and you to me. But if you're going this way, I shall be glad to be your company. If not, I must consent to walk alone. I've heard of this town, fair speech, said Christian. And as I remember, they say it was a very wealthy place. Byans agreed. Yes, I would assure you that it is. And I have many rich relatives who live there. May I be so bold as to ask who some of your relatives are who live there, Christian asked. Mr. Byans reported, almost the whole town is related to me, and in particular, Lord Turnaround, Lord Time Server, and Lord Fair Speech, from whose ancestors that town first took its name. Other relatives include Mr. Smoothman. Mr. Facing Both Ways, Mr. Anything, the patron of our parish, Mr. Two Tongues is my uncle on my mother's side. And to tell the truth, I've become a gentleman of good quality, even though my great-grandfather was only a ferryman, looking one way and rowing another. I earned most of my wealth by the same occupation. Christian asked, Are you a married man? Byans replied, Yes, and my wife is a very virtuous woman, the daughter of a virtuous woman. She was my lady feigning daughter. She comes from an honorable family and has arrived in such a pinnacle of breeding that she knows how to act cordially and respectfully to all princes and peasants alike. It is true that we differ in religion from those of the stricter sort, but only in two small points. First, we never strive against the wind and tide. And secondly, we are always most zealous when religion goes about in his silver slippers. 
We love to walk with him in the streets and the sun shining, and the people are applauding him. Then Christian stepped aside to his friend, Hopeful, and said, I believe this is the person they call buy-ins at fair speech. If it is he, then we have in our company one of the most deceitful rogues who ever lived in this part of the country. Then Hopeful said, Ask him. I don't think he should be ashamed of his name. So Christian came up to him again and said, Sir, you talk as if you knew more than the than the most. More than most people in the world would know. And if I'm not mistaken, I would guess your name is Mr. By-ends of Fair Speech. By-ends protested. That is not my name. But it is insulting. It's an insulting nickname that you've given to me. And by those who do not care for me. I must be content to bear my name as a reproach as other good men have borne theirs before me. But haven't you given occasion for men to call you by this name? Christian persisted. Never, never, Byens protested. The worst thing I ever did to invite such a name was to have the good luck to jump in and ride the tide of the times, profiting thereby with my skill at knowing which way the winds of change were blowing. Is this a crime? Then I will count it a blessing. But I will not let the malicious load me up with reproach. Christian responded, Just as I thought, you are the man of whom I heard, and to tell the truth, I fear your nickname belongs to you more properly than you would like us to think. Byens contended, well, if this is what you think, I cannot help it. Even so, you will find me a good company, if you will still allow me to travel with you. Christian replied, if you will go with us, you must go against the wind and the tide, which I believe is against your principles. You must also stand by religion in his rags, as well as when he is in his silver slippers. You must stand by him when he is bound in irons as well as when he walks the street and hears the applause. You must not impose your faith on me. Let me have my views and you let me go with you, Byans implored. Christian insisted, not a step further unless you would do as I have proposed, even as we do. Then Bayan said, I will never desert my old principles, since they are harmless and profitable. If I may not go with you, then I must do what I must do before you caught up to me, which is to go my way by myself until someone overtakes me who will be glad for my company. Now I saw in my dream that Christian and Hopeful forsook him and kept a good distance ahead of him. After a while, Christian looked back, and he saw three men following Mr. Byans. And as they came up to him, he greeted them with a low bow, and they gave him a compliment. 
the men's names were Mr. Hold the World, Mr. Money Love, and Mr. Save All. These were men with whom Mr. Byans had formerly been acquainted, for in their youth they were schoolfellows and were taught by one Mr. Gripe Man. They had gone to school in Lovegain, which is a market town in the country of Covening to the north. This schoolmaster taught them the art of getting either by violence, fraud, flattery, lying, or putting on a guise of religion. And these four gentlemen had become so proficient in the art of their master that now each one of them had his own school. When they had all greeted each other, Mr. Moneylove said to Mr. Byans, Who are they upon the road ahead of us? For Christian and Hopeful were yet to be seen within their view. Mr. Byans responded, They're a pair from a far-off country going on pilgrimage in the same way. Moneylove asked, Well, why didn't they stay with you so that we might have their good company, for they and we, sir, are all going on the pilgrimage. So were we, Bayan said, but the man before us. They're rigid men, and in love with their own notions. They disdain the opinions of others with a superior attitude that is so narrow that if you don't agree with them in all things, they throw you out of their company. Save all commented, that is bad. I've read about those who become overzealous in righteousness, judging and condemning everyone but themselves. But, But tell me, what were the points on which you were disagreeing? Mr. Byans answered, Well, they concluded that it's their duty to rush ahead on their journey in all weather. Without waiting for favorable wind or tide, they would risk all in a moment for God, while I, on the other hand, am for taking advantage of all the moments to secure my life and my estate. They are for holding their notions, though all other men stand against them. But I'm for religion so far as at the times my safety will bear. They're for religion when it in rags and contempt. But I'm for religion when it walks in its golden slippers and in the sunshine and with applause. Hold the world agreed. Yes, good, Mr. Byans, for in my part, I count them fools who lose the things that are they're at liberty to keep. Let us be wise as serpents. It is best to make hay while the sun shines. You see how the bee lies. He lies still all winter and gets busy only when they can profit from among their pleasure. God sometimes sends rain and sometimes sunshine. If they're so foolish to go through the first, let us be content to take fair weather along with us. For my part, I like the religion best that will stand with the security of God's good blessing upon us. Since God has given us the good things of this life, isn't it reasonable to think that he desires that we keep them for his sake? Abraham and Solomon grew rich in religion, and Job says that a good man shall lay up gold as dust. 
so he must not have had in mind the men who are before us. If they are as you describe them, I think that we all agree in this matter, and therefore there's no need for any more discussion about it, stated Saval. You are right, Moneylove said. There's nothing more to say about this matter. Anyone who does not believe scripture or reason, and you see we have both on our side, does not know the liberties that he has to seek his own safety and security. Bayens added, My friends, we're all on the same pilgrimage. To help pass the time, I'd like to propose a question to you. Suppose a man, a minister, or a tradesman or such, should have an opportunity to get a blessing and improve his station in life by becoming extremely zealous in some point of religion. Let's suppose that a a religious point is something about which he has no particular interest, but by appearing to be interested, he can gain an advantage, either financial or otherwise. The question I put to you is this, can he pretend to be interested and remain an upstanding and honest man? Money-loving noted, I see what your question is getting at, and with those gentlemen's, with these gentlemen's permission, I will endeavor to give you an answer. First, I will speak to your question as it concerns a minister. Suppose a minister, a worthy man, But someone with a very small income has a desire to increase in wealth and influence. Suppose that he sees an opportunity for achieving this goal by becoming more studious, preaching more frequently and zealously, and modifying some of his principles to fit in with the preferences and temperament of his congregation. I see no reason why he cannot do this, and a lot more if needed, while still remaining an honest man. And now here are the reasons why. Well, we're out of time. We'll continue this next Saturday. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. We'll talk soon. I once was